All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that uh, are joining us online. So we have two quick things to cover before we move into um, our series that we've been in. The first one is our giving slide. So every quarter we update you on where we were financially in the previous quarter. And so for our uh, giving for the fourth quarter, so $171,000 budget, uh, what we brought in, $261,000 over budget, $90,000 over budget for the entire year, $200,000. So, again, it's, it's hard, I think, for some of you who have been here just like lately to comprehend what that looks like, but I don't know this is exactly true, but I think our first year budget was somewhere in the $180,000, you know, so to see the generosity and just to see, you know, the things that are happening here at Life Church is pretty amazing. And add to that, 20 new people decided, hey, I want to be a part of regular giving here at Life Church and the ministry. So we want you to know finances are open here at Life Church. Any questions you have, that's why we put it up there. And the other part of it is it's just a great big thank you. You know, I don't know how to thank you enough that we as a church are able to, based upon your generosity, be able to share the love of Christ with people and to be able to give back to you so that you can share the love of Christ with people. So that's an important aspect of what we're doing. Right, so we're in a series called Original Design. So to catch you up, if you're new with us online or you're new with us here at the church, I'll kind of give you, you know, the, the recap of how it's going. So here's what we said from the beginning. Pretty important that we look at what's going on in the world and be aware of what's happening. So here's what we know. If you look out through the scope uh, or the landscape of what's happening in the world, there are a lot of problems, right? So we have a lot of problems in just flat-out relationships. There's a lot of issues of relationships with parents and their kids. We have issues inside of marriages. We have issues inside of, you know, relationships with people in the world. So there's just big glaring issues that are going on in the world. And so for us, it's like, how do we address it as a church? So do we go through it individually? And do we talk about individually? What does that look like? Or do we come back and say, listen, let's go back clear to the beginning and use this as an example. So doesn't it make sense to figure out how God designed men and women? And then out of that design, how they should operate together, and that if we operate outside or inside of God's design, then our lives will flourish, right? So we said instead of addressing every individual topic, we're just going to look at design, and we're going to use this premise. Outside of the design, things break, right? So I used cars as before. Maybe this is a better example. Anybody ever, like, get a bunch of laundry? Like, I never did laundry, but I think this is the case. So, like, you ever doing laundry, and you have a whole bunch of laundry, and you stuff your washer full, and then you go sit down in the other room, and you hear this boom, 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 boom. Like, the whole house is going to blow up, and your washing machine, if you don't shut it off, there's going to be a problem. Something's breaking, right? Things are going to come off the walls. The washing machine might break. Wasn't designed, even though you're in a hurry, it wasn't designed for that many clothes at one time. Does that make sense? Same concept. For us, if we operate outside of the design of which God put in place for each one of us, something's going to break, right? Something's not going to be good. So we decided, let's look at the design and try to figure out how to operate inside of it, and let's try to figure out how to flourish with that. So we saw that in the beginning. Then we focused on men. So how were men designed? What were their hurdles? Um, and we're going to talk today about, like, there's this big chasm. How do we bring it back together? And then next week, we're going to be talking about women. <laughs> So we had this debate at church this week. Here's what we were talking about. For the past four weeks, we've been running out of chairs. And so they were like, what should we do? Like, what should we do? And I'm like, if we had this conversation together as a staff, like, don't worry about it. The women's stuff's coming up. You won't have to set up any chairs. Because the women are saying, you better get your man here. They got something to say. But when we get to the women, it's going to be, you know how he said spend quality time together? Shouldn't we go away this weekend? Just a thought. I don't know if it's going to be true or not. But we're going to get in women's design, women's hurdles. But here's what we said, operate out of design. What's a man's role? Like, how did God design him uniquely different than he did a woman? 
right? Like that's really important because we stated a lot of times inside of the church here, man's supposed to be the leader. Well, women are good leaders, right? So women are good leaders in the home. Women are good leaders in the workplace. So it's not necessarily unique that a man's supposed to lead because a woman can lead and a woman can do a great job of leadership. So what's unique to a man that's different than it is to a woman, right, inside of Scripture? And we defined it by what Scripture says. Kind of an old terminology. Not very many people use it today, but it's called headship. It's this idea that the man is the head of the home, and headship carried out in this way, right? So this was the definition of headship, that a man is in relationships is supposed to create environments for flourishing, right? So his job is to lead uniquely in a way that his kids will flourish, that his wife will flourish, that the people around him will flourish. Like it's his, his job is to make that happen and create those environments. And we talked about like how does it happen inside of the home? Like so if you're inside of the home and you're a kid watching and or you are a parent or in a married relationship, how's this supposed to work? Here's what we said. Headship seen inside of the home, here's what, how a man will carry it out. Scripture very clearly says, a man will sacrificially love his wife, right? So no more is it going to be about what's natural for a man, which is like me, 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 right? like I got this to do, but it's going to be how can I meet your needs? How can I love you well? How can I sacrifice for you? Which means it's going to cost you something, men. So sacrificial love. Here's the other thing that it was. Headship means this. It's the man's responsibility to set spiritual direction inside of the home, right? His responsibility is to set the spiritual climate inside of the home and, and, and making sure that he creates environments for his wife and for his children that they can flourish, man's job. And here's what we said, now listen to me. Here's what we already know by what scripture says. Satan has a plan. His plan is to tear apart the family and if he tears apart the family, he can destroy the world. A man's responsibility is to protect what God created and designed. Stand at the door, stop being a wuss, you know, stop hiding behind excuses, get to the door and protect what you were made to protect, your family, right? Don't make the excuses like we said this, like you can't punt on these responsibilities, guys, because if you punt on these responsibilities, bad things happen right? Because here's what we know. Listen to me. We know that spiritual direction can be set by the wives inside of the home, right? She can do a really good job of it, and you can just sit back and like, why would I do anything? Look how good she's doing. Because when you operate outside of the design and you punt on your responsibility of what you're supposed to do, there are ramifications that are going to happen. It's not whether your wife can do it, it's whether or not you should be doing it. Does that make sense? It's not whether she has the value or the intelligence or anything, because what we're going to understand is, is that God honors a man fulfilling his role, even though he doesn't know how to do it. Right? Like he honors, something happens when a man does that. So he said, here's the design, but, but here's the problem. We got hurdles, right? And Adam showed us those hurdles right from the beginning. Passive men, selfishly passive men, allowed sin to enter the world. Selfishly passive men are still allowing sin to run rampant in their families and in the world. Now, Selfish passivity, why is that a hurdle for each one of us? Like, why is that a hurdle for a man? Like, why is it that that's one of our biggest hurdles? And here's why. Men aren't naturally passive, right? Like, I've never met a man that's not passionate or excited about something in his life. True? Like, whatever he loves, get to talking to him, and I bet you that he's going to talk your ear off about the things that he loves to do or the things that he's excited about. He's not passive naturally. Like, there's something inside of a man that's driven to not be passive. Selfish passivity means you're going to do all of these things and punt on your God-given responsibility. You're going to punt on sacrificially loving your wife. You're going to punt on setting the spiritual direction of your home. And you're going to punt on protecting your family. You just got to priorities messed up. We're moving in the wrong direction. Then now add to it, right? Add this to it. 
there's a design, these are our hurdles, and then there was a curse, right? So the, the, the curse we know from the beginning caused problems, right? So we know we were designed and we know we have these hurdles, but the problem is because of these designs and because of these things, we're always trying to reverse the curse, right? Like we're always trying to figure out how to reverse the curse. So for men, you know what happens with men? So one of the ways that we try to reverse the curse is, is that the curse was we're gonna have to toil in the ground forever. Like everything is hard, right? Relationships are hard. Work is hard. Like, as much as you do, the stupid thistles keep coming back. Anybody, right? Like, how does it ever work? I've always said this. You know the weirdest thing about having landscaping? It could be a complete drought, and there's still weeds in that sucker, (laughs) right? Like, it's the curse. The, the, The things just keep coming back, and you have to keep fighting, and men are just going to be naturally like, I'm sick of fighting, I'm sick of this. I'd rather go do something else. So their response, men's natural response, because of design and because of hurdles, is pushing to do something to make them happy again. They're not happy with the boyfriend or girlfriend that they have. They're not happy with the wife that they have. They're not happy with the job. If I just had, guys, if I just had a little bit more money, Nobody other than me. I was always that way. I mean, just a little bit. Like, I know it's not a lot of bit, but just a little bit. If it's just a little bit, it would create so much more freedom in my home, right? If I could just have the right job, climb the ladder. And so we're selfishly pursuing the wrong thing. We're trying to reverse the curse in the wrong way. Women, you want a little preview? Next, if we... <laughs> you know how you're trying to reverse the curse? Or you're trying to reverse the design? You were created to be dependent and a helper. And your life right now, I can women are rolling their eyes already. (laughs) But you know what you're taught inside of culture? To be independent. And independence is celebrated. So you're doing everything, like you're fighting. And again, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a break. I know why you're fighting to be independent because you didn't have a man. Right? Like part of this is this idea that a man didn't stand in the place that he was supposed to stand, didn't do what he was supposed to do, so you had to become independent. You had to stand up into that place. But just hear me out for these coming weeks. Be ready for this, right? It still doesn't mean it was the design, right? And it still doesn't mean the things that that God called it to be. So we're trying to reverse the curse. So here's what we know. Huge chasm from where God created us to be and where he wants us to be, right? Would we all agree with that? Did anybody think that after listening to the first couple messages? Like, wow, we got a ways to go, guys. Like, we got a ways to go when it comes to operating out uh, inside of the design. But here's the reality. So we need to set the course straight because this is what I want to make sure. I heard this over the past couple weeks, so I want to make sure that I address it. Remember what we're shooting for when we're talking about this idea of operating out of design? So what I heard this week or the weeks before when you're talking to people, they talk about, well, you know, in my relationships, we've made it work. Just so we're on the same page. That's not God's design. Making it work just means that you've adjusted to the cultural pressures of what your relationship should be, and now you're happy operating inside of culture's perspective of relationships, culture's perspective of what a marriage should be, culture's perspective of how you should raise your children. You've just made it work inside of your home. God's design was never to just make it work. You know what God's design was? In all of your relationships, flourishing. Now, what does flourishing mean? All right, so if we talk about that and we say God designed your marriage to flourish, God designed your relationship with your children to flourish, God designed your relationship with other people to flourish, what is flourishing? Because that's the direction we're headed in. So men to operate out of your design isn't just to make your marriage work. Women to operate outside, you know, or inside of the design isn't to just make it work. It's to figure out how to make it flourish. Think about this. I want you to hear me when I say this because this is really important. Here's what flourishing looks like inside of Scripture. 
that when you operate inside of the design that God has created, you will unlock the power of the Holy Spirit in your marriage, and you will be able to do things that you were unable to do on your own before. Flourishing, right? Like this is the way that it works. By acting out of, because here's what everybody knows. If you're looking at it, I, I guarantee you this. If you're gonna say this is design and design of woman and you put it out there like this is almost impossible. So you know what people normally say? Well, we'll just figure out somewhere in between. So guess what? You don't need God anymore. Flourishing means this is where he wants it to be. The only way we're ever going to get there is through the power of the Holy Spirit, but the goal is still the same, right? The goal is still the same of what that flourishing should look like and the places that, you know, we need to go. Here's the other thing. Whether it's with your children or your spouse or other people, here's what I believe that God talks about through all, all of Scripture. He talks about it in marriage, not good for man to be alone, right? He talks about how important the relationship of a father is with his children. He talks about how important a relationship is for people to be in relationship in general, right? Like that's a big deal. Like people should be in relationship operating inside of the design that God's called them to operate in. Here's something that's flourishing. You will be better together than you are apart. So you in your marriage will be able to do things individually that are awesome, but together you'll do things that you could not do alone. And people are going to be like, wow, God. Do you hear me, right? When you go and you're in a relationship with your kids, right? You know, one of the biggest problems with raising kids is sometimes we have these expectations. We're just like, go be that way. Why can't you figure it out? Why can't you do? When we, when we go and understand our relationship with our kids and we go down the road and the journey with them and together we do things in that journey, we will do more than individually we could do apart. Your kids will thrive more and flourish more when you do life with them. When you partner with people and you get inside of a small group and you're in a community and you're around people that you can count on, you're gonna be able to do ministry that you would never be able to do by yourself. There's power in flourishing when we understand how to do relationships together. You know, the other thing that you need to think about that's flourishing, when flourishing is happening inside of the home, training and multiplication can happen. You see that? When it's right, right, when you're operating in, inside of the design, here's, here's what you need to know about your children, right? So if you've just made your marriage work, your kids are going to just try to make their marriage work. And you know where they're going to get working from? You. And to be honest with you, when they're looking at that, even though you're making it work and you're existing together, you're not teaching them the design that God had and ever giving them a chance because they have no idea because you're not even striving for it. Like you've just given up on this idea that this is the way that you design. Because we already know this. The design is hard and it's going to be difficult to get to. But if we move towards it, God's going to do things that only he can do. And you know one of the things he's going to do is he's going to help you train your children so that when they get married, they will understand. They might not live it out. True? We all know children. Right? They might not live it out, but you've given them an example of what it looks like, and you showed them what it means, and you've trained them, right? And when you train them, you know what happens? You know what they learn? They learn how to train, and they learn how to multiply. If you don't ever teach or train your children to do multiplication, they're gonna do just what you did. They're just gonna try to make it work. And we're gonna miss the things that God is wanting to do. You know the other thing that flourishing, this is what we're pointing to, flourishing, this is what we want. When you operate inside of the design that God has for your marriage and relationship with your kids and relationship with other people, this dark world that you are living in will see Jesus in ways that they've never seen him before. Because do you realize the majority of people who in, are in culture that are not saved are also making their marriages work just like you? They're also making their relationship with their kids work just like you? 
What's different? What shows that there is a powerful, mighty God that resurrects people from the dead if you're just trying to make it work, if you're not any different? So make sure that we understand the destination, right? So when we do this design, it's not just so you can make your marriage work or you can be happy it's, or your relationships that way. It's so that you can flourish and so that you can get to the places of flourishing. Now, here's, here's the thing. Let's just be real. If you were honest and you sat down and said, here's design and here's where God wants me to be and here's all the ways that I've been doing it wrong, which I think all of us can admit that, we've not been doing it right, this is where we need to be, it seems almost unattainable. Anybody else? Right, like we're so far removed from where things used to be, the where God wants things to be, that honestly, there's such a chasm between design and reality that we're sitting here saying, dude, that ain't working. There's way too much of that. So here's what I'm hoping for today. And we're gonna do this at the end of the, when we talk about women too. So for men today, if you're sitting at this place saying, you know what, this is a tall order and if it's really about flourishing and I'm not where I need to be, how do I get there? Today's message is for you. Because there's a reality of what we're gonna see today. You can turn to Ezekiel 37. So in Ezekiel 37, here's what you're gonna see. You serve a God that raised people from the dead. Not just physical dead, but spiritually dead. You serve a God who can transform anything in a moment and in a voice, right? And so what I'm hoping, guys, that you're not walking out of here saying, oh my gosh, I'm so beat up and I'm never gonna be able to do and it's so hard, so I'm just gonna settle. Listen to me. If you settle, you will never see the power of God in your life. Don't settle, right? Here's where he wants you to be. Just take steps in that direction and God's gonna do things that you can't ask for or imagine, right? So keep it there. Ezekiel 37 gives us a picture. Here's what was happening. So you know the story of the nation of Israel. So if you go clear back to Abraham, there was a promise. You know the promise that God gave to Abraham? If you trust me, right, I will bless you. Your descendants will be numerous. Anybody who comes against you, I will come against them. Anybody who blesses you, I will bless them. Anybody who curses you, I will curse them. That was the promise for the nation of Israel. Design. Right? God designed the nation of Israel. Live in a certain way. I'm always going to protect you. I'm always going to bless you. Anybody that helps you, I'm going to bless them. What do you think happened to the nation of Israel? Anybody read the Old Testament? <laughs> the nation of Israel made a decision. You know what their decision was? Happy over design. Because you know, to live the way that God called the nation of Israel to live was difficult. Right? He said, like, these are the things that you have to do to live inside of the design nation of Israel. It's going to cost you something. And then they had people coming in saying, yeah, I know, but this would be so much easy. Just marry these people and alliances and power, and you'd be so much happier and it's so much easier. And they chose to do it. Guess what happened to the nation of Israel? They got destroyed over and over and over again. Right? And so Ezekiel is at this place. So Ezekiel is a prophet. So if you don't know what a prophet is, in the Old Testament, prophets were the people that God spoke to. He said, Listen, I'm going to show you a vision or I'm going to tell you something, and your job as a prophet is to go tell somebody else. Right? That was the job of a prophet. Here's was Ezekiel's job. Guess what? The nation of Israel had been trying to be happy instead of living out of design or the design that God had, and now all of a sudden, they're in a bad place, right? So he says, Ezekiel, I want you to get a picture of how bad it really is, but then I won't want to leave you in just how bad it is. I want to show you what it can be, and I think this is a picture for us as we look at this chasm of how do we get this right in our lives. Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry, and he asked me, this is the key question, here's what he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Now listen, 
Here's the picture that he wanted to give to Ezekiel so that he could give this picture to other people. He showed them a valley of bones, right? And here's why bones. This is what was important. Knowing that there were bones there represents that there was also life there at one time. Does that make sense? Like you can't have bones unless there was like people alive at one time. So what it was showing is there was life at one time operating inside of the design that God had for the nation of Israel. They were thriving at one time, but then they chose to walk away from God and do their own thing. And so let me walk you through this valley up and down and remind you what you see is a lot of bones, a lot of dead people, right? Not dead physically, dead spiritually. Right, like they're completely dry on the inside, even to the point where he says, not only do you see a lot of bones, they were very dry. You know what that means? They've been there for a long time. Now here's what I want you to, I want, I want you guys to hear this, wives and husbands, relationships in general. I want you to hear this. What he wanted you to know is that regardless of how long your relationship with your husband has been dry, and not in the right place, and not where it needs to be. He is going to show you that it doesn't have to stay there. No matter how long you men, because any men ever, like, I'll raise my hand on this one. Any guy ever walk around where the struggles of life have got to you and you're like a dead man walking? Like there's flesh on the outside, but you're walking around and there ain't nothing in here. Right, like you get there, like you get to these places where there's nothing in there anymore. There's no feelings in there anymore. There's no emotion in there anymore. You're just going through this motion, and you don't think there's ever a way to get back, ever a way to recapture the love of my marriage, no a way to ever recapture a relationship with my kids, no way to ever recapture what I used to have, right? That's the valley of the dry bones, walking up and down to give him a picture but he did ask him this question. Ezekiel, what do you think? Can these bones ever live again? Can your relationship ever be restored? Can your heart ever be made new? Here's what he's asking him. Like he's asking Ezekiel, do you see what's out there? Because he wanted him to get this reality. Do you see this? But what you believe will change the course of your life. You hear me? When I say that, what you believe about the restoration of your relationship with, fill in the blank, husband, wife, children, what you believe about that. Can God restore it? Can God make my marriage what it needs to be? Can God allow me to work out inside of the design that he has and things flourish? Can I ever get there? How you answer that question will either lock up the power of God and you will be a dead man walking or release the power of God and people are going to see Jesus do amazing things. Son of man, <laughs> can these bones live? Here's what he says. I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come up on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked at the tendons, I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. You got to get this picture before we move on. You see, he was giving you this picture that God can rebuild a person that he actually looks like a person. Like there's no bones anymore. Now there's a resemblance of a man. But just so you know, this could be a lot of you here today. Just because you have skin on you and you're walking around doesn't mean you're alive. Let me say that again because this is really important. Just because you showed up for church and you have skin on your bones and you're walking in the right places doesn't mean you're alive, doesn't mean the Spirit's living in you. There can be something that's still dead. So he wants to give you that picture. It's more than just having skin on. It's more than just walking in. It's more than just hearing the right things. It is being open to the thing that's going to change you forever, the breath of life. 
right, that comes through Jesus. Now listen to what he says next. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may be there may that they may live so i prophesied and as he commanded me and breath entered them they came to life and stood to their feet and when they stood to their feet and there was breath inside of them what was their job they were now a a vast army you see you have to understand you weren't given the power of the holy spirit inside of you so you could stand on the sidelines you were not given the power of the Holy Spirit so you could disconnect because you don't feel you're qualified. You weren't given the power of the Holy Spirit so you could give excuses why you're not loving your wife sacrificially. Give excuses of why you're not the spiritual leader of your home. Give excuses of why you're not providing for your family. Excuses why you're not protecting your family and you're letting Satan come in and steal, kill, and destroy. Right? Like, those are excuses. He's saying, I didn't give you life so you could stand on the sideline and watch your family be tore apart. I didn't give you life so you could go selfishly pursue things that don't matter. I gave you life so you could do what you were designed to do. Get in the game. Get in the game. Stop making excuses. We all have them. We all have why. We're not at the place that we need to do, be, men. We all have reasons why we don't think that, that, that we're capable of doing these things. But he said, I gave you breath and I gave you life and I put tendons on your body and I put the Holy Spirit inside of you because now you've got a job. Get to the front line. Be a part of the army. Then he goes on and he says, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy to them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then my people will know that I am the Lord. And when I open the graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle in your land. Then you will know that I, the Lord God, have spoken, that I have done it, declares the Lord. He just reminds you, you know what the key, man, if you want to live the design that God's called you to live, don't lower the bar. Because this is what's happened. Right? You, you just lowered the bar. Your wives, listen to me, women, young ladies for dating, picking a man, stop lowering the bar. Stop making excuses for why your boyfriend isn't what he's supposed to be. Tell him what he needs to be so he feels step up. Yes, no, maybe. Stop lowering the bar, right? Who needs the power of the Holy Spirit when all these ladies are saying, we don't care, we'll change you someday. No, no, no. Speaking from a man, it's hard to change us. Right, like that doesn't easily happen, right? Set the bar where it's supposed to be, and even though he's not there, he's going to have to strive for something, and he's going to realize he's not there, and he's going to say, I'm never going to get there. And you're like, yeah, you can. You know how you can get there? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to walk that journey with you, right? And I'm going to help you through that journey. But stop lowering the bar, because the key to showing God to a godless world is to trust him. Right? Like, that's what we need to do is trust him in our relationship. Stop lowering the bar and saying, well, that's so far outdated. Because that's, that's what happens with a series like this. When I say, like, this is the design of a man, this is the design of a woman, well, that's outdated. That's for the traditional people. You know, we live in a world of non-tradition now, right? And I'm like, dude, you're missing it. Like, you're missing the point. You don't need God anymore. You know why you don't need God? Because you just lowered the bar to what works for you. That's why you don't need him in your relationships. That's why you don't need him in your marriage. You don't need him with your kids. Like, that's the power. Now, here's the question. How do you get there? How do you live a God-empowered life, right? How do you, how, when, when the preacher gets up there and says, you should live by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're like, uh, anybody, right? You ever get to that place like, I don't know what the Holy, I, I know what you say the Holy Spirit is. He lives inside of me, and like every once in a while, like I feel like maybe he's there. I don't know if he's there. How do I know if it's his voice? What do I need to do? I don't know. Anybody? 
Like you just get to that place where you say empowered life, I don't know what that means. So Ephesians 2, we're going to look at like what is a life empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out the design that God calls us to live. Ephesians 2 gives us this picture, right? He shows us the things that we need to be able to look at. He says like, here's the problem that you need to fix. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. And when you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving death. Now listen to what he's saying here. So he's talking about this whole idea. He's trying to give you a picture of what it looks like to be a dead man, right? And a lot of us are dead in your transgressions. You're like, what does it mean to be dead in transgressions? Here's what he's trying to paint the picture of. Anybody ever go up to, this might be weird. You probably didn't do this. I was going to say, did anybody ever go up to a dead person and slap them? (laughs) Here's what we know. If you walk up to somebody that's dead and you do anything to them, try to stimulate anything from them, are they going to move? No, like that's not going to happen, but Thaddeus, stand up for a second. (laughs) Be nice. So anybody that knows Thaddeus, right? So if I start provoking Thaddeus, right, and I start stimulating him, pushing him around, doing different things, old Thaddeus, you know what old Thaddeus is going to do? He's going to clock me. Or if I go over to his wife and I start picking on his wife or I start pushing his wife around, if he is a man who's alive, what's he going to do? That's right, right? No man, think about this, no man stands around while the enemy is attacking, just been like, I'm not qualified to help. If somebody's pushing you around, you're going to put them up. Qualified or not, if somebody's coming to get your children, we're raising hands. Even if I get the tar beat out of me, I'm not going down as like, can some, hey mom, can you come and help me? No man's doing that, right? No man's waiting for somebody else to show up. When a man is stimulated, that's alive, he will react in a certain way. So why is it that when men come on a Sunday morning, I got beat up and heard all this mess, like stimulation, but you walk out on Monday and you are a dead man walking. You're a dead man walking. Somebody's slapping you around in church, somebody, your wife's slapping you around at home, things are happening like, wake up, wake up. And you're like, oh, I got everything, you know what I mean? Like, why does that happen? Why is it that a man can be stimulated? Like, people are trying to stimulate him, but he doesn't do anything about it. Here's why. I want to give you a picture. Here's how this works. So Matthew 8, 18 through 22, Jesus gives us this picture. Here's the picture. The picture is people who are like, oh, stimulation, I should do something. But then when it comes to the place where he asks them to do something, then all of a sudden it comes real. Matthew 8, starting in verse 18. When Jesus saw that the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds uh, have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Listen, we know why it's so hard for a man when we give him stimulation, but then they turn around and just are still dead man walking. You know why? He gave us the picture here. Here's a guy like, I want to be a follower. I want to do. And Jesus is like, well, you realize that being a follower of me is going to cost you something. Like, I don't have a home. I don't know where, you you know, you're not going to be able to lay your head anywhere. It's going to cost you a lot. It's like, I still want to be a follower of yours, you know? And he says, okay, you know, be a follower of mine. The guy's like, well, I got some business to take care of. I got to go back and bury my dad. Now, here's what I want you to see. In this picture, most of the commentaries would say, it's not like he really had to go back to a funeral. 
It's not like his dad really died and he had to go back and take care of the funeral and he was all into following Jesus. You know what it showed? That the things of the world were more important than the things of God. You know why most men can't get to the place where they can be thriving in the design that God called, why they're not, they can't be stimulated to change is because they care more about the things of the world than they do the things of God. Just the way it is, right? Like, I want to care about the things of, of God, but there are bills coming. Anybody? There are things to do, right? There's places to be, like, Inside of us, like we want to be on the right side of it, but inside of us is this nature to take care of the things of the world, and then when we have time, we'll give the things to God. But God can't work in that way, right? He shows us that he can't work in that way. So he says, like, you've got to understand what it means to follow. You've got to understand what it means to be a part of. In fact, he goes on and he says this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Now listen, I'm going to say some things that might offend you, but that's okay. Better now than later. Here's the thing that I need you to think about. I'm guessing when we talk about these conversations, sometimes we don't get to the, maybe what the real core of the problem is. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've not given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been coming to church for a really long time, but you're not a follower of him. And you know how he figures that out? Do you know how in scripture, how he knows whether a person is a follower or a faker? When he challenges them to do things that will cost them something. Do you see that in scripture? So when it comes to this idea that you're supposed to be a follower of Jesus Christ, right? Like, you're supposed to be, like, this is what God's called you to do. And then you come up against this, and you're like, I don't want to do it. You know what happens when Jesus said, this is what it means to be a follower of mine, and people didn't want to do it? They walked away. They only followed him when it benefited them. And he said, those people are deceived. You are not a believer. You're a faker. And you might not be seen on this earth, but when you stand in front of me someday, I'm going to say, away from me, you who I don't know. And I want you to hear this, right? Because I think way too many people are saying, you need to be a better man. I need to be a better man. I need to do. You know what? I think maybe you should settle first. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus above everything else? Before a better man, before a better father, before a better coworker, Like maybe you should settle something because if you don't settle this, here's what I'm gonna guarantee. When you try to be the man that God's called you to be, you're gonna run into obstacles. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're gonna give up like everybody else has given up on and you've just tried to make it work. That's the way it is, right? And those are the things that we gotta think through. Maybe settle those things because when you settle that, then there'll be power for living. Here's the next thing that he tells us. And God raised us up, this is verse six. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us through Jesus Christ. Now here's what I want you to see about this idea of grace. Two things, women, as we are trying to figure this out, please extend grace to us like Jesus does. Do you know what grace is? Here's what grace is. When we act or do something and the repercussions that we deserve, we don't get because of grace. That's the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ, we act a certain way, but we don't get what we deserve. So he says, I want to lavish on you, men, this immeasurable amount of grace. But you know what the problem is? Because you've lowered the bar, because you've chose to do it your own way, because you've made it so that you're successful, there's no grace to go around. Because you're not trying anything. You're not saying, like, this is the bar, and I'm going to try, and guess what? Every time we try to be the man that God's designed us to be, you know what you're going to find out? You're going to fail. And you know what you're going to find out? You need a Savior. And every single time you do this, not only is it going to remind you that Jesus is awesome, full of grace, and loves us, you know what else it's going to teach the people around you? 
that it's okay not to live in a glass house. You know how people have done that? They've created these glass houses and everything's perfect and nothing ever fails and you just, you lower the standards inside of your home so that you can meet every one of them and make them right. And your kids are like, they never see you fail. You know what you need to let your kids see? That you fail. You need to admit that it's thankful for Jesus that this has happened in our life. We need to allow those things to happen. Example, you know, in it, John eleven forty three. just let me do this real quick. John eleven forty three. Lazarus dies and here's what he says. Verse 43, when he said, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and clothes around his face, or cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And we're talking about this idea, how do we live? Jesus calls us out and he calls us to unwrap all of these dead things, these dead wrappings, so that we can live a life that shows that we're alive. What is that for a man? When you give excuses of why you're not loving your wife, why you're not doing the things that you're called to do, you're walking around with these grave clothes on. It's an excuse. Every time you say, well, the reason that I'm, you know, not sacrificially loving is because I don't have time and I'm providing, or the reason that I'm silent is I'm just shy and I don't have these deep conversations. Deep conversations are for somebody else. Or the reason my wife does all of the spiritual direction because I don't know anything about the Bible, you're still wearing grave clothes. I want to give you a warning. I want to end, you know, with this. Here's a warning. And I want you to hear this to the, to the, as much grace as I can give it to you, okay? Men, listen to me. Because of design and because of fall, right? So the worship team's gonna come back up. I want you to have this picture. Because of design and because of the fall. If you remain out of the picture and don't sacrificially love your wife, somebody else will. The way it works. It's not the way it's supposed to work, right? That's not the way it's supposed to work. The way it's supposed to work, we're all going to hang in there, and we're going to work it out, and we're going to go down the road, and we're going to do, but because of sin, because of the fall, because of all these things, if you choose to punt, somebody else is going to love your wife. Now, your wife might stick it out with you, but at the end of the day, your kids are watching a dead marriage, and they're going to move into an example of a dead marriage. Listen, guys, you can, you can say, well, you know, my dad never really taught me to talk, and so, and I'm kind of shy, and I don't really, I, I don't know how to have deep conversations with anybody, and I don't know how to have deep conversations with my kids, and I don't know how to have deep conversations with my wife. Can I tell you something? Somebody does. Some man will have deep conversations with your wife. This is a warning. I want you to hear this. Your excuses of why you can't, I want you to know that you can make all the excuses in the world. Somebody's filling in for you. Somebody's stepping in for you. Here's what I would tell you. Here's what I would challenge you, men. <laughs> Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he'll give you the words you need. He'll give you the right questions to ask. Listen, you know how it is to sit down with kids sometimes and like we need to have these deep conversations of being alive with the kids and you try it and they're like, yes, no, maybe. And you're like, I can't have deep conversations. They don't even talk. You don't know what God's gonna do in a year from now, six months from now, 10 years from now because you said I'm available to you. I'm available to you. I'm gonna have these conversations. Who knows how it's gonna turn out but I'm gonna be available to you. Listen, women, little preview. You can, and you're pretty good at it, being independent, being your own woman, not being a helper, right? And, and living without dependence on anybody. You've been good at it. But just so you know, deep down, your husband wants to be the king. Your husband wants somebody to depend on him. Your husband wants somebody that, that will come to them and make them feel like they're special. And if you're not going to give it, if you're not going to be there, believe me, they will find a woman that will make them feel special. 
Make them find a woman that will give them the things that they need, that will help them in the ways that they desire. They're out there because Satan puts them there. Satan puts them in places because here's what he knows. If you leave a gap, I'm going to destroy your family. If you leave an opening, I'm coming in. And so for each one of us, let's end with this when he says, verse 8, for it is by the grace that you've been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves that it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we together are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works in which God prepared in advance for us to do. Man, you were designed to be in the army. You were designed to be in the game. God knew you and formed you and equipped you to do the handiwork in this world. And when you operate inside of God's design, things are going to flourish. The world's going to see God. Your wives, your kids, the people around you are going to flourish because you've just said, you know what, I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to take one step today. And here's the one step. Some of you today that are sitting in this room, maybe your one step today is, I'm not saved. Maybe for the first time in your life, you've realized that I've put on a facade. I've said that I'm a follower, but every time it comes to doing something for Jesus, I bail. Maybe today you need to make a decision. I'm not bailing anymore. I'm going to be a follower. I'm going to stand. I'm going to do. I'm going to be a part of. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I am and want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I admit that I'm a sinner, fall short of the glory of God, but I know that there's a Savior. For some of you in this room, you have had dry bones for a really long time. And I'm praying today that he ignites a fire that the world will never be able to put out and that the world will recognize the things that only God can do. We stand so I can pray for you. Heavenly Father, we just love you so much knowing that you've designed us and it's such a struggle to get back to the way that you've designed, but we know that the God who asked the question, can these dry bones live again? You know what the answer is? is yes. Through you, Jesus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, our dry bones, our dry relationships, our dry marriage, whatever those things are, God, like you can revive them, bring life to them. Lord, we pray for that today.